Well, hey, my name is Jordan. If it's your first time visiting here, I am our online uh, pastor here at C3 and also one of our teaching pastors. And want to share a story. Uh, who of those of you have a dog back home that you're in love with? Okay, okay. You're all going to heaven. The rest of you, I, you know, bless your hearts. Anyway, Marissa and I, my wife and I, we've had a beautiful um, Australian Kelpie for the last four years. His name is Theo. And Theo is house trained. Um, that was something that we really wanted to be able to uh, prioritize. We tried crate training in the apartment, and he was one of those smart dogs that even after we zip-tied the crate shut, and we got him, like, the biggest thing you're going to see, have all his space, he still figured out a way to break out of the crate. And then it was, like, game on whenever he, you know, made it out. So when we bought our house uh, back in 2020, we wanted to... Um, house train him. And he actually, you know, took to it pretty easily. But there's one thing that you can't do with Theo, and that is leave a trash can outside or available to him, accessible to him. Because no matter how much exercise he's gotten, whether he's gone on a walk, whether we've trained him, whether we've disciplined him after, um, you know, an incident, he will terrorize the trash can. He's got two kryptonites, one pizza and two trash cans, okay? And so that's the same. And there's two doors that we have to close every morning before we leave for the day. That is the bathroom door for the bathroom trash. And then also the kitchen door um, that leads to the kitchen trash. And it doesn't matter how much we try, how much we do. If those doors are open, all bets are off, okay? Well, a month ago, after, you know, about a year of us being able to house train them and all that fun stuff, a month ago... I was pulling out for the day. I'm the last one to leave every morning. Pulling out for the day. And as I'm pulling out, I realize I didn't close either of those two doors. And so then your first thought is like, okay, maybe Theo is going to be a good boy today. Okay? <laughs> but after that thought enters, it quickly exit. And so I do one lap around the block and pull right back into my driveway. I open the door. And after one minute, Theo's looking up at me. Proud as ever. He's like, Dad, you see all this trash on the floor? That's what happens when you trash talk me. Oh, come on, second service. You all are as bad as first service, and you got an hour more of sleep. Man, I was so proud of that joke. I was, I was driving to work this week, and I'm like, man, we're going to make a joke about how the trash can was trash talking Theo. And he said, pause off, and he went to war. But you don't even get the rest of the jokes. You know what? We're moving on. So anyway, so he terrorized the trash cans um, upstairs, downstairs. I was literally only gone for a minute. But as soon as he had a taste of freedom, all bets were off. And that is... So true for our lives as well, and actually perfectly transitions us into our series today, Right in the Eye, where we're spending an entire six-week series walking through the book of Judges. It's the seventh book in the Bible, um, comes right after Joshua, and goes right before Ruth, and so it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Poor Ruth, made that joke the first week, but you know what? I'm having fun up here, whether you think my jokes are funny or not. And so uh, I expect, you know what, online fam, I bet Facebook's just rolling right now. Let me know in the chat how funny you think I am. But anyway, seventh book in the Bible. And the book of Judges is actually, in my opinion, one of, if not the most disturbing book in the Bible. Because story after story is just filled with the sin and the destructiveness of humanity. And the first like 10 or 12 chapters of it begin, the first verses, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sent a judge, or God 
sold them into slavery or God punished them. And as soon as they had a taste of freedom, that is what happened. Well, the judges happened between, uh, you've got Samuel, um, on kind of, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, the uh, back end, that would be. And you've got um, Moses and then Joshua on the front end. And then in between those two leaders are judges, okay, are the judges. And the judges were not only individuals who would kind of guide and help navigate and direct the people of Israel, but they would also go to battle and they would fight for Israel and command Israel's army with, you know, different leaders and different tribal leaders and whatnot. And so for week number one, I kicked off our series by walking through the last three chapters of Judges, which, in my opinion, is the most disturbing story in all of Scripture happens in those final three chapters. But we wanted to start the series by showing you exactly how bad sin and humanity has gotten and what happens when humans do what is right in their own eye. And then last week for week number two, Brad, um, our lead pastor and other teaching pastor, walked us through this concept. It's the story in Joshua and then into Judges of, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, however I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Because it's all about me, me, me. And walks us through, again, the concept of when we have a little bit and a taste of freedom and we make it about us and we prioritize us rather than the kingdom of God who said it's all about others and it's all about God, we see destruction after destruction after destruction. Well, put a pause on this week for a second. I want to preface next week because, like I said, this series is more intense than usual. Next week is going to be another one of those that we want to give a PG-13 R-rated story about. And so if you have a child um, who's bridge kids that you, uh, you know, normally would bring into service with you, we want to encourage you to Take them to Bridge Kids next week. We're talking about a three-letter word that starts with S and ends with X. And it's going to be really like PG-13 R-rated through the story of Samson, okay? And so we wanted to, again, give the parents you just, just as a warning. Uh, you're more than happy to bring them in, but we wanted you to have the, the control on when you share certain stories with your child and at what appropriate age. Brad is talking about um, that topic next week, about sex next week, and through the story of Samson. Um, I just want to give a preface for that. Today, we're going to be walking through Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, and talking about one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, uh, favorite leaders in the Old Testament, and that is Deborah. Um, and I thought it was really fitting for, uh, for us to preach and to talk about um, Deborah, um, the female judge, the female prophet, female leader of Israel on uh, the week of um, International Women's Day, um, which was this last week. And so, uh, Judges chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you want to turn with me there, we're going to walk through the 23 verses and then give three takeaways at the end for you to walk away with. Uh, but the title of the message today is The Hands of a Woman. The Hands of a Woman. And so Judges chapter 4 begins just like the rest of uh, the first few chapters do, like I said. Uh, verse 1, here we go. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, which was the previous leader, for the Israelites. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. 
They cry to the Lord for help. I want to stop there and break that, those first three verses down. So what we have to understand about the Old Testament is that they're operating under the Old Covenant. We did an entire series divided, uh, separating and understanding the Old versus the New Covenant. Uh, the Old Covenant is found in the Old Testament, first uh, 39 books of the Bible. And that is the covenant that God made specifically with Israel. And this covenant said this, if Israel, you do A, then you will receive B. And so if you sin, you will receive punishment. If you serve, you will receive blessings. And so what would happen often, like we saw in verse number one, the Israelites chose to sin, do evil in the eyes of the Lord, so he punished them. And often when we, you know, read through the Old Testament and we see all the violence and all the wars and all the slavery and all of the punishment and the wrath of God, we're like, God's so evil. But we have to recognize and place that they were living under an agreement that they made with God because the reverse was also true. If the Israelites chose to serve God, they would be blessed. They would receive peace. They would receive wealth. They would receive all of these different things, okay? That was the old covenant. It didn't work, and we know in Jeremiah— that God then says, you know what, I'm going to establish a new covenant with all of the world, not just Israel, through Jesus that we find in the Last Supper that Jesus says, I am now establishing my new covenant with you, okay? And this is what the new covenant, the covenant we live under now says, okay? The agreement that we have with God says, you have been freely given and blessed with A. Now do B. And so that A we've been blessed with is the life of Jesus and the gift of life and salvation, so because we've been freely given, nothing we can do to earn that, now we are called to serve and called to give and called to sacrifice and called to share. And so that's the covenant we're now living under. And so as we read stories in the Old Testament, we have to recognize that we're under a different agreement with God. We're under the agreement that says there's nothing we can individually do to improve our standing on earth besides accepting the gift of Jesus, okay? And so when we see this passage, these first three verses, it's just piled on with punishment. It says, hey, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so per their agreement, God sold them into slavery. And the, slave, the in enslaved, they were under command of Sisera. Sisera, who commanded a chariot army with 900 chariots fitted with iron, and again, this doesn't seem like too crazy to us today with our technology and our tanks and our equipment. And so you're just like, hey, why don't they just go send in some soldiers to take care of the situation? But in their culture, iron was the root of all evil, okay? If you had control of iron, you had the strongest material, you had the strongest uh, equipment, shields, swords, but then also with chariots being the strongest way of maneuvering an army and positioning a situation. If your chariots were covered in iron, you were pretty much invincible, unstoppable. And so Sisera commanded 900 of these chariots. Let's move on to chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abneom, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Verse 7, God says, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, 
and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Verse 9, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. And then for our sermon title, for the Lord would deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Let's stop there. Deborah, you've got a female judge and a female prophet. The only one in the Old Testament who had both titles, uh, judge and prophet, um, Sorry, the three titles, the female judge and prophet. And it's so cool of her leadership is that God had called her to lead and to rule over Israel. And we have to understand this was completely countercultural for not just the Israelites, but all under the old covenant for a woman to be leading. And they were treated not just in this situation, but they were treated as second class citizens third-class leaders, in fact, weren't able to speak or lead over men. And then Jesus comes and shows us, hey, actually, we have to empower those people. And God did so in the Old Testament all of the time. There's uh, four or five different female leaders that are different prophets and different leaders and uh, all of that fun stuff. And this is one of those clear examples of where Deborah is in a position of leadership. And because it was so countercultural, Barak responds in probably one of three ways, okay? He says, hey, I'm not gonna go with you or go to battle unless you go with me. And as I was researching this, different theologians and educators and, uh, you know, professors um, of the Old Testament were talking about, they think that Barak responded because of one of three ways. One, because she was a woman and he didn't respect her. And so he said, hey, I'm not just gonna listen to you, okay? Which was, again, very it happened very often in that, in that culture and still happens in different cultures and in different um, areas of our society today as well. Second way that he could have responded was just out of fear. Okay, again, this had been 20 years of oppressive ruler, ruler, uh, ruling under the army of Sisera. And we saw how important, or sorry, how devastating a charity army could have been to the Israelites because it took 10,000 soldiers to be able to combat that. And so this was no... Um, small deal. And so the second reason he could have responded could have been a fear. I think, actually, I actually take the third response is that it was probably a mix of both, that it was because she was a woman and also because he was terrified. And so Deborah says, hey, based on your course of action, based on your response from the prophecy that I've received from God to go to battle, the victory will not be yours. The victory will be in the hands of a woman. And so then they prepare their troops, and let's pick up in verse number 10. Here we go. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abniom, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth, Hagoyim, to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Verse 14, then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, 
Herosheth, Habuim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. We'll stop there, just recap. Uh, it just happens as, it, just as, as Deborah had said. He said, hey, go down to battle. This is the day. I love that verse. This is the day that the Lord goes before you, goes with you to fight our battles. And yet we still have to engage in the war ourselves. And so they go down, they go to battle uh, under Deborah's cry, under Barak's command, and they see victory. And they slay down the 900 chariots. However, Sisera, the commander, gets away. So this picks up in verse 17. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, Gave him a drink and covered him up. Verse 20, stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Okay, verse 22, just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. I don't know if you've ever said, like, I'd like to pass away in my sleep, because I think that'd be the most peaceful way to go. I don't think this is what we had in mind. You know, I don't think Cicero was like, give me the tent peg right there, you know? Because there was that alliance, and there was that situation where he thought he was safe. He goes in, and then at the hands of a woman, just like Deborah had predicted, went and took his life. And actually, Judges chapter 5, if you um, read that chapter, it's an account, and it recounts, chapter 4, but it's called the Song of Deborah. And it is a song uh, filled with poetry and lyrical verses that Deborah and Barak uh, compose and then actually sing, recounting the entire story that happens. And it fills in a few more details. It actually shares that Deborah went onto the front lines and went to battle with the Israelites. And in that situation, God actually flooded the valley, flooded the river. And that is how the chariots all got stuck in the mud and that the Israelites were able to overtake them. And it recounts the story of the peg and the temple, uh, the, the tent peg uh, going through the skull and, you know, just all the violence. And man, if you're not reading the Bible, you're missing out because it is crazy what happens. And yet it was happened exactly as Deborah had prophesied through the hands of a woman. God will go before you. God will be with you. And as we study the life of Deborah, there's so many characteristics that come to mind. She was uh, not just from her title of being a judge and a prophet. She was a wife to Lapidoth. And then she was courageous. She was bold. She was brave. Uh, she was a warrior. She was a soldier. But she was also intelligent. She was wise because of her discernment of judging and leading over Israel. 
But then when you understand her name, her name in Hebrew is actually B, like B-E-E, like bzz, okay? She was a B, and why they named her B is because, see, first service again, they made fun of me because I kept saying, it's because, and you know, and then I couldn't stop doing it, and so you know what? Again, I think I'm funny, and that's all that matters. And so B was, you know, hovering around, and, and they named her after this because like a B, the hive goes after and follows the leadership of the queen bee. But then also, just like a prophet who will declare the word of God, and the word of God can both sting and be sweet as honey, both full of grace and full of truth, that is what Deborah's role was as a prophet, was to share the gospel, share the good news, share the law, share the commands of the world to the rest of Israel, and to lead in such a way that was countercultural. To be a female in leadership is not to be taken lightly in their time because it required bravery, it required boldness, it required strength, it required beauty, it required grace and truth. And it's so incredible to see Deborah's story. And honestly, if, if I'm raising a kid, I'm looking up in the Old Testament, she's one of the top dogs, the top leaders, those who led with dignity. And because of that, they saw decades and decades of peace until after Deborah passed away. And then, believe it or not, when she was gone, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I want to walk through three takeaways before we close today. We got about eight minutes left. Three takeaways for you if you're a note taker um, or not. Uh, Even if you're not, I wanted to create an acronym that everyone would be able to think about and remember throughout the week, okay? And so this is the PEG acronym, okay? We'll put PEG up there, just like the tent PEG. Look at that, okay? We're going to walk through three takeaways for you to remember. And so every time throughout your week, as Deborah comes to mind, think about the tent PEG, okay? P, uh, prepare for battle, okay? Prepare for battle. Too many of us in our lives are focused on defense, are focused on merely surviving, unfocused on comfort, on living easy, on trying to just make it through the work day, trying to make it through the family day, trying to make it through COVID, trying to make it through the exhaustion of just, you know, financial insecurities and all of the unknowns and all of the political stuff and all of the banter on Facebook. And we haven't actually joined the front lines of the war. There is a greater battle going on a battle for death and life, a battle for your soul that the enemy is desperately trying to attack you for, trying to engage you in this battle. And so just as Deborah says to Barak, says, hey, prepare the troops, prepare the war. We are going up against our enemy. We're going to fight the good fight, as Paul says, Second Timothy, in the, in, the, in the letters to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Okay, engage. Stop just sitting on the sidelines. Okay, you can't merely be a Christ follower from Sunday at 10.30 to 11.30. That's not how it works, okay? Monday through Saturday, I saw this incredible quote this last week. Sunday is when we are equipped for battle, and Monday through Saturday is when we go out and fight. And obviously, you're fighting every single day, but it's this idea that if you just engage with God one hour a week, you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. I was talking with a friend this last week who has had a difficult 2022 Started out the new year with COVID and then went right into the flu and then went right into strep. And so that was the first month, all of January, COVID, flu, strep. (laughs) Then they finally got back into their workout routine and their life and they were doing great again. And then their car breaks down, 
has to get it towed. Then their wife's car breaks down the next week, has to get that towed. Get both of them fixed up. We're halfway through February. Then he gets hit hard with a cold, okay, and with a sore throat. And we just know, again, how all the sinus stuff. Then, right to start March, his wife's car breaks down a third time, or second time, third time for all of them. And it was last week, first week of March. And he called me, he said, why does every single time I get close to God, this is what happens? And again, it's just minor stuff when you're thinking about what's going on in the rest of the world, okay? But it's one thing after the next, and it's every single time. It's honestly, that's the way that it works. Because as soon as you engage in the battle, you put a target on your back. And I share that because too many pastors and too many teachers and too many Christians just say, hey, you know, if you live for God, you're going to be filled with grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness. But I want to warn you that this is a stinking battle. It's not easy. That's why Jesus says that the road is narrow. The access to the Father, there's not going to be many that make it. Because too many people choose comfort and easy living. And so then you might be asking, then what's the point? The point is that hope matters. Why I desperately want every single one of us to engage in this battle and to engage in this war and to lean into God is because it provides hope. He provides mercy. He provides grace. He provides strength. And if you choose not to engage in the battle, you may be the only Bible that someone else will ever see. And so by choosing the easy life and not engaging in the war and not engaging in the difficult trials and tribulations and fighting back against the enemy, you may be hindering someone else's opportunity to find hope. So P, prepare for battle. E, empires fall. Empires fall. And this is something I was talking to someone in the back um, of first service. This is something, this isn't just new to 2022 or, or 21st century ideology. This is something that has happened for centuries and centuries, all the way back to the garden, is when we idolize something and make it our empire, it will fail us. It will fall. But then when you think of it from a country standpoint, think about all of the nations who idolized their nation and then became the greatest, the biggest powerhouse, whether it was Rome or Babylon or the Philistines or the Israelites back in the Old Testament or, um, you know, all of the different wars that we've gone through and endured, empires will fall. But kingdom will rise. And here's a touchy truth, Okay. We are not called to lean into the empire. We are not called to worship the American empire. We're not called to worship the Republican or the Democratic empire. Okay, you can, you can love where we're from and you can love our heritage and you can love our country, okay? But we are only called to worship the kingdom of God. And so what's the difference, Okay. The kingdom is built on love. The kingdom is built on grace. The kingdom is built on absolute truth. The kingdom requires service. The kingdom requires sacrifice. The kingdom requires a mindset that says it's not about me. And this was just something I was thinking about this last week. I mean, honestly, I've been disappointed in Christians' response to gas prices going up. Because, like, at the end of the day, we're not being bombed. You know? And yeah, the inconvenience of spending 15 to $30 more, like, yeah, that really stinks. But like, we're safe. And people in Ukraine and people in Russia aren't. 
And people in developing countries aren't. And our soldiers aren't all over the world. And so what Marissa and I have started doing is every time we fill up our gas, rather than choosing a mindset of empire, we choose a mindset of kingdom and we start praying for the people of Ukraine. Every gas fill up. It's just an easy way for us to flip that mindset to kingdom living rather than empire worshiping. Okay, and then G, last letter of our acronym is God qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. Once again, um, just seeing the leadership of Deborah is so fascinating because, like I said, it was counter to the culture. To have a woman leader was counter to the culture, and yet God chose her to lead over men and women, to prophesy over men and women, to share the good news over men, women, children, to lead Israel towards kingdom living. And it's the same for today. You might think that you have something that disqualifies you from sharing the gospel, teaching the gospel, being a good neighbor, being a servant of God, sacrificing, being generous, okay? Living for the least, the lost alone, having an other's mindset. And yet there's so many just minorities and so many um, women and so many men that were disqualified and Jesus chose to empower. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, prophet Anna in the New Testament, prophet Deborah in the Old Testament, then you've got different house church leaders of Priscilla and Junia and Phoebe and uh, different individual, different women, apostles that walked with Jesus and ministered with Jesus. And it's the same for our culture today. And the truth is, whether you're a male, whether you're a female, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, this is what Paul says, okay? You can still be unashamed of the gospel and lead in such a way. None of that matters. There's nothing that can disqualify you because God qualifies those who he calls. So, Peg, prepare for battle. Empires fall, but kingdoms rise. And lean into the truth that God qualifies those who he calls. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for Deborah. Thank you for her leadership. Thank you for this intense book of Judges that shows us either how to live or how not to live. And what happens when we choose to do things that are right in our own eye is it leads to destruction. But when we choose an other's mindset, a kingdom mindset, a godly mindset, a serving mindset, God, it leads to life. So thank you for who you are. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word, for the Bible, for judges. I pray, God, that now we would go Monday through Saturday, fight the good fight, prepare for battle, engage in the war, and lean into you. In your name I pray.